The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello there, and welcome to the Roto-World Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Colin Henderson. Joining me as always is Chris Crawford. Coming up on the show today, we recap some big performers from over the weekend, a quick injury roundup, and uh, in case you didn't notice, a whole bunch of top prospects made their debut. Chris, our very own prospect guru, will tell you exactly how excited you should be for all of them. But Chris, we are just about halfway through the baseball season, and we're officially past the halfway point in the fantasy baseball season. Wow, it's amazing how time flies when the season is only nine weeks long. It's It's been really interesting to follow just how quickly this is processing because – like and I struggle with it because like when I'm doing Rotocap, uh, Road World blurbs and recaps, it's like I want to say it's such a, a small sample size, but for this year, nothing is a small sample size, and it's it's hard because we're all waiting for these guys like Cody Bellinger to hit for a higher average and stuff. At this point, fifty percent of your production from that guy is a batting average that you definitely do not want. It's it's such a weird season, and, and you just kind of have to take the bitter with the better. But, man, it's flying by. Yeah, it's weird when a guy like Anthony Santander is completely lapping a Cody Bellinger this year just because of <laughs> yeah. the ridiculously short window we have to judge all these guys on. And one hot streak can launch you from a guy who's completely underperforming to a guy who's overperforming in about a week right. span. So it, it the just kind of shoot them as they come kind of nature of this year has really made, and we've discussed it a couple of times on the show, how important running a waiver wire is this year in comparison to other years, just because anybody gets uh, even remotely a scent of a hot streak, you, ha- yeah. you almost have to run and grab them because I can't wait around for a guy to get out of a, you know, a top draft pick to get out of a two, three week slump. Well, guess what? That was a third of my season right there. As my good friend Jay-Z said, I've got no patience and I hate waiting. And we all have to embrace that in 2020. Are you friends with him too? Oh, that's good. That's yeah. nice. All right, good. We just must have missed each other at the parties. It was at the 4040. I'm there like every other Friday. It's no big deal. Oh, that makes sense. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, coming up this show, we got a bunch of top prospects to talk about. But before we get to them, I'm going to take a minute because I'm upset. I'm upset. And this is This fantasy baseball season has been so painful to so many people, whether that's you losing the Verlanders of the world early or just the the chaos of a seven game a seven week regular season in my main fantasy baseball league 
we have it's a ten team uh, points based league. So that's that's our that's my main one that I play in. I have through four weeks the third most points in the league, and I am one in three in the league thanks to running up against individual matchups. Two of the four weeks against the top scorer in the league when I was third top, and one week which was a tie, and I lost on a tiebreaker. One in three after four weeks with the third most points. I sat there yesterday just cringing at my fantasy cast, just crying somber tears into my pillow, watching once again another great week from my team be rewarded with a big fat L. I'm so sorry, sir. I know. I have to get the rant out. I have to get the rant out. We're all stuck in our own individual little houses right now, so I can't, I don't have that out that outlet to be like at a bar with a buddy going, can you believe this? No, instead I have to rant to you, Chris. No, that's fine. That's what I'm, uh, that's why they, they pay me the big bucks is to, to listen to, uh, people, uh, go on their tangents. I'm telling you, it, it stinks, but I'm, it's, and I love the head head competition, but again, the rotisserie is the way to go, man. You really, Oh, I'm if, aware. Only, if only for the reason that you don't have to complain about the bad beat. Although it is nice, I think, to be able to blame somebody else for someone else's problems, which is, I mean, we talk about 2020. That's the definition of 2020 is putting the blame on somebody else. So, yeah, it's uh, that's so frustrating. And, man, especially in a short season, that's a bummer. Yeah, it's a real one. I basically have to win out from here to make the playoffs at four and three. So this will be uh, this will be a lot of fun. The only enjoyment I had all day yesterday was watching Luka Doncic step back oh three. Gosh. To to just I, I screamed at the top of my lungs of just pure joy when that happened. Other than that, depression that Sunday for me. I, I was just thinking the other day about Doncic and the fact that uh, he kind of is the Fernando Tatis of basketball right now because he's at twenty one, like both of them are. He's helping you yep. in every category, and they're just both so fun to watch play right now, and. Uh, I guess I don't know what the basketball equivalent of swinging. Uh, oh, actually, I do know. It'd be like doing a 360 dunk when you're up by like 28. Um, but uh, man, both those guys just so fun to watch. Don't think I have not in the last week or two Googled Luka Doncic jersey and uh, Tatis jersey. <laughs> At some nice. point in my in my search history, both of those have uh, run the Google gauntlet. Let's give you a quick COVID update in terms of the actual games. And we'll start off with the Mets. The Mets lost four games at the end of last week, one against Miami and a three-game set against the Yanks over the weekend due to one player, still unknown, and one staff member testing positive. Um, They are hopeful to be back on the field Tuesday night against Miami, which is great news. This isn't going to be a long extended one like the Marlins or St. Louis's were. Um, however, get ready to see a lot of the Mets because according to early scheduling, it looks like the Mets are going to play nine games in six days with five games against the Yankees this weekend and three doubleheaders this week. So get ready. If you are a Met fan who missed out twiddling their thumbs at the end of last week, get ready to sit in front of a TV this one. You know what I was just thinking is that I might be in in a couple of my leagues targeting games that the Mets are playing because that pitching staff is not very deep. And the fact that you're going to have to see them pitch a lot, I want hitters going up against the Mets just because 
obviously not when they're facing Jacob DeGrom. That's obviously a big no-no. But everything else, man, I, I got to tell you, especially with, unfortunately, how pitchers, the, the wear and tear of this shortened campaign, I'm looking to see offensive players that I can get. And if I have somebody on my bench who's going to get three or four games against the Mets, I'm considering that promotion. It's it's It seems almost mean to say it, but – and I hopefully DJ isn't listening to this version of the podcast, but it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to because it, you're going to see a lot of that Mets bullpen and the rest of that rotation right now is pretty darn shaky. Yeah, it's that team is going to get that pitching staff is going to get spent. It's going right. to get really spent. And as a Yankee fan who is looking at a five game set against them over the weekend, I'm licking my lips. <laughs> but to give D, to to throw DJ a bone here. There is the other, the flip side of that coin is that I'm targeting certain Mets players as well, specifically their sure. hitters. And I, they, because yeah. if you're going to tell me they're going to play nine games over the next, essentially till the end of this week, if you're in a weekly league of any sort, Met, Met hitters are going to get ABs and they're going to get a lot more than normal guys. So I look especially at, and I was kind of shocked to see his ownership percentage so low, is that Robbie Cano, who was scorching hot before this four game. Uh, kind of blip uh, due to COVID. Robbie Cano was scorching is 373 on the year with four homers and 13 RBIs, middle of the Mets lineup. He is available in 50% of both ESPN and Yahoo leagues. He's a guy who I immediately went to go grab this week, knowing that, well, he might not play both sides of every single doubleheader, but he's probably right. going to play at least seven games this week, if not eight. This, uh, I mean, there are some Mets out there who I think. Anybody who starts off hot for the Mets offensively is a guy I might want to immediately grab on Tuesday or Wednesday because this is a hot streak and a lot of ABs that the Mets are going to offer. That's a great point. And one thing I do think you might want to be aware of uh, for fantasy players is that uh, if you have too many of these guys in your lineup, if you have one of those, uh, if you're playing in a league that caps innings, that's something that you do want to keep in mind or caps games that you do want to keep in True. mind. But Cano is a great pickup right now. I mean, I've I've gotten a chance to watch a lot of him this year, and he's just – I mean, his swing was always pretty. Even though last year was, was such a debacle, I, I had a feeling he was going to be better in 2020. He's just too good of an offensive player. And while I don't love the lineup protection and I don't think he's going to get a ton of chances to drive in a ton of runs over this next month – He's still a solid player who has middle infield eligibility. And like you said, uh, playing in those double headers, a great chance to, I mean, he's been DHing a ton anyway. So, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm on the Robbie Robinson Cano bandwagon. I, it'll be a long time before I leave it, to be honest. I have far too many fond memories of Robbie Cano. Don't you know, for, uh, we had, uh, for him to be hitting as well as he is this year and for everyone to have kind of forgotten about him. Sure. So many ABs coming up this week. Cano's going to get in the lineups. Get him in yours. Um, big weekends this week, and we have to headline Jose Abreu to start off because we have to. Um, four, he destroyed the Cubs pitching this week. Destroyed it. Four straight at-bats with a home run at one point. Six home runs in total over the weekend. Hitting 322 on the year, 11 homers, 28 RBIs. This was on average the number nine first baseman drafted in leagues. I think you could very easily make the argument that Jose Abreu is closer to a top five first baseman than anything inside the top 10. Without question right now. I mean, I'm just looking at his last 10 right now. And obviously you take a look at the 
the last three with the six homers, which I believe tied a record for the most in a series. Um, Correct. I mean, he's hitting 447 over his last 10 games with eight homers, 16 RBIs, um, drawn four walks in the time. This is a really good offensive player, and I love the White Sox lineup. It's hard not to love the White Sox lineup right now. Um, As long as he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a top five first baseman down the stretch. I mean, at that ball he hit against Darvish, that was just absolutely crushed. And you Darvish is pitching as well as any pitcher in baseball right now. So to, for him to take advantage or to uh, do that against one of the best pitchers right now, pretty darn impressive. Uh, I've always been a big Abreu fan. It's nice to see him hitting for the kind of average I thought he would uh, when when he came out of Cuba. It's, uh, I mean, he's been a very solid performer, but it kind of seems like this is the breakout we've been waiting for. Yeah, I think this is finally the best roster around him, which I think is helping out that cause so much. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you and I, we talk about uh, kind of roster uh, protection, a line of protection, and he is just finally has a true team around him that is giving him pitches to hit, which is, and he's hitting them real far. You, like you said, that one against Darvish, still going. That was amazing how far that one was hit. And speaking of Darvish, let's talk about him real quick because. Sure. Outside of that one pitch to Abreu over his last five starts has been borderline perfect. A, on the season, 5-1 and one with a 1.7 ERA. And keep in mind, that one loss was his first start of the year. He has 44 strikeouts in 37 innings. He was the number 20 pitcher on average off draft boards. Now, with all the pitching injuries and for his production, top 10 rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's a crazy stat that I uh, looked up the other day because I I was curious how many pitchers have been as good as Darvish since July of last year. And since July of last year, you Darvish has a strikeout to walk ratio of 168 to 13. I mean, that's just insane. <laughs> 168 to 13. That's like like what Cliff Lee was doing, but better. I mean, that's really, really impressive. Since that clunker he had in the opener, and I'm sure a lot of people were panicking because that's just how fantasy players work. Um, he's allowed no more than one run in any of his starts. Uh, 44 to 6 with his K to base, base on ball ratio this year. Whip below 1, average against 209. He's a really, really good pitcher. You're always going to be a little bit, you have to be cognizant of any pitcher with injuries, but with Darvish, you're going to be wondering. But as long as he's healthy, man, he is, I mean, talk about set it and forget it right now. There's there's maybe four or five pitchers that I'd want in my lineup uh, more than you, Darvish, right now. And that that's just being safe. He is having a special, special year. And he was special in the second half of last year. And we, Lord knows we've seen that it's not smoke and mirrors with him. He was a, at times, the dominant pitcher with the Rangers and briefly with the Dodgers before the, the postseason kerfuffle. So, yeah, you Darvish, good. Yeah, lock him in for the rest of the year. And speaking of the Dodgers, let's flip over to Mookie Betts, who the Dodgers destroyed, destroyed the Rockies this past weekend, specifically Sunday, seven home runs against the Rockies, tied the season record, um, and Betts hit two of them. And not only that, he stole two bases on top. Who doesn't love a double combo meal somewhere in the middle of all of that? 11 home runs on the year in total, 24 RBIs, and he's batting 300. And what's scary about this, 
is that his BAPIB is 275. So you can argue that yeah. he's been unlucky so far on the year with those numbers. No question a top five player in fantasy, but wow, what a weekend. And once again, earning every sense of that nice fat contract that the Dodgers just handed him. It's that trade still bugs me. And it's the Dodgers. I don't want to say deserve because taking advantage of somebody handing you Mookie bets for an above average prospect and a, a decent young outfielder. But look, he's a special baseball player and, he is, I mean, what he did on uh, Sunday, that's been done 19 times since 2001 to hit two homers and steal two bases. I mean, he's an elite player. He's an elite fantasy player. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that there are more than two or three players right now that I'd want, to, not just for this year, but in dynasty leagues. I mean, he's going to be able to hit at the top of that Dodgers lineup. You know, they're going to send money to protect uh to keep that keep this run going, they have an excellent farm system. I mean, Mookie Betts is going to be an elite player for a very, very long time. And congratulations, Boston! You have cap flexibility. Yeah, isn't that something? And I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna shed any tears for anybody up in Beantown too much. Nah, but uh, they're, they're doing yeah, okay. no, that watching uh, watching what Mookie Betts is doing right now has to make everybody on uh, Yawkey Way really uncomfortable. All right, so quick question: If you had to go. Mookie, Acuna, Tatis, Trout. Well, I assume probably first four guys off the board next year. I mean, you're not going to complain about any of them, but Mookie Betts is really making that argument that he deserves to jump one of those players and get into the top three. And we're going to see what he does for the rest of the year. For sure. Yeah, let's move over to Miguel Sano, another guy who is scorchingly hot right now after a very poor start to the year. First three weeks, very subpar. This past week, though, really heating up. Over the last seven games, he's batting 462 with nine extra base hits, including one home run. So no, uh, I think a beautiful example of the the game that we kind of played last week of the keeper drop of these kind of top 120 overall players. Sano is the reason why we don't drop players. And it, whether for good or for bad, and most of the time it's for bad because we hold on to guys way too long because we're afraid of someone getting hot like this. But you have to assume there were people out there who got sick of Sano or got sick of players like Sano and drop them and then watch them get hot. And now all of a sudden you can't take them out of a lineup. You have to love what you're seeing from Sano, who has consistently got major at-bats in the middle of that Minnesota Twins lineup even with his struggles, has gotten consistent at-bats there. Now, if he is seeing the ball well, good luck, because he's going to get a ton of run-scoring opportunities. No question. And what I love is that over his last 10 games, yeah, he struck out 15 times in 32 at-bats, and that's not ideal, but he's drawn seven walks. And for a guy that patience has been an issue at times, I think that's huge. And like you said, too, he's playing in an awesome lineup in a park that's friendly for him. I mean, the ball just jumps off this dude's bat. So if he is seeing the ball well, if he is uh, patient and gives pitchers a reason to throw him strikes, all the opportunity is there. And I think sometimes we forget, too, he's been around for a while, but Miguel Sano is only 27, and he'll be 27 for the rest of the year. Um, it wouldn't shock me if we're seeing the breakout year uh, already OPS up to 879, which is a much more impressive – it's a solid number, but it's much more impressive – 
when you consider how badly he was struggling uh, at the beginning of the year. Miguel Sano, uh, a flawed baseball player to be sure, but one that has talent and you have to love the lineup he's playing in. Yeah, and dual eligibility at first base, third base. So if anybody out there is 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 struggling in one of those positions, he's down to 77% in Yahoo. And just a couple days ago, about five days ago, he was down to 70. So take wow. a peek in your uh take a peek on your waiver. Make sure Sano um is definitely on someone's team. And if he's not, he should be on yours. And let's and this is a fun one, especially because I love this player. He's one of my favorites. Yadier Morlina is back. I love Yadier, 38 years old, still catching every day, which is just astounding. Uh, just this past Sunday, went four for five, all singles, but he is hitting the, every single one of them was hit really well. Two RBIs as well. Since getting activated off the IL on Thursday, he's batting 412 with five RBIs and 17 plate appearances. If you are at all hurting in the catcher position, and we're going to get to Joey Bart in a bit, in this in the next segment. But if you are hurting at all in the catch position, Molina is back. He's batting in the middle of a lineup. He is a worthwhile add for anybody who is stuck holding on to the Mitch Garvers of the world. Well, I'm okay with the Molina right now because I need points and we're halfway through the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean you you know he's gonna be in the lineup pretty much every day. I don't think he's had a uh a day off since he returned to the lineup. He's not a a perfect fantasy catcher by any means, and you know it would have been nice to see some some extra base hits here, but we haven't seen any yet, um, and I don't believe we've seen any walks either. But that's that's nitpicking. Like you said, the catcher position, while improved, is still a area where it'd be tough for me to say that there are if you're playing in a 12 team league, it's, it'd be tough for me to say that there are 11 or 12 options better in a two catcher league. He's an obvious must get. But look, it's it's Yadi Molina. He's a guy who consistently performs at a solid clip it it won't win you uh it won't win many awards in the fantasy circle but he's solid and i I think maybe people who got impatient may have dropped yadi molina he'd be a guy that i'd at least want on my bench and there's a pretty good chance he's the best option in the starting league i agree the like you said the catcher position is better overall but i can't imagine there being 12 catchers better in your league that Yadier, like you said, he's not going to win you any awards, but he is going to give you solid production in a position that does not always give you solid production, which sure. I think is in in a season that is seven weeks long, regular season wise, yeah. that that yeah. could be huge. Let's run through some quick injury news here. Oddly enough, kind of a quiet week in injuries, which feels yeah. so good to say because we basically yeah. spent our first four episodes just <laughs> reading off a list of injuries. Aaron Judge returns to the lineup on Tuesday from my calf injury. That was always very minor and precautionary, but Judge back into the lineup on Tuesday, which means Judge back into your lineups on Tuesday. Uh, Nick Anderson, the kind of hybrid closer slash pivotal innings guy for the Tampa Bay Rays, because God forbid Kevin Cash ever give us one closer to, to grab. Uh, Nick Anderson, he hits the IL with minor forearm inflammation. Both he and Cash say they believe the injury is minor. He's been excellent on the year. Um, I think it's okay to be dropped if you need the production, if your IL spots are, are kind of taken up, but if not, you know, they say it could be my, it should be minor. He's a reliever, which means he doesn't have to work up any type of, uh, of pitch load anymore. So 
he's a guy who should hopefully be back sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's tough with Anderson because I love the strikeout rate, but with him and Ott having a defined role, if I can find somebody who's similar, then maybe I'm considering that drop. And, and it, of course, it depends on how many IL spots you have available. But like if, if a Jordan Romano was available, that'd be a guy I'd be kind of looking at to replace uh, his production. No, you're not going to get saves from Romano, it looks like, but he's missing bats at an impressive rate. Uh, also, James Karinczak, but he should have been at it a long time ago. I'd be surprised if he was still available in your league, but uh, another guy who could give you similar type production. But uh, I'm excited to see Judge back. He was so swinging the bat so well. Uh, one of my all-time favorite outfielders, uh, all-time favorite maybe hyperbole, but one of my favorite outfielders for sure to watch right now. I got to see him take batting practice at Fresno State, but he was not the same player that he is now. I mean, give the Yankees a ton of credit for some player development there because he was a good player, and uh, uh, but it was pretty clearly raw, and uh, it's not raw anymore. Steven Strasburg, unfortunately, we've all kind of known this information, but officially out for the season, getting put on the 60-day IL after undergoing carpal tunnel surgery on Wednesday. Um, Real bummer. We got like a whopping three innings out of him all year. Um, For someone that just signed that nice contract to stay in Washington, uh, a bummer for anybody who went out and spent you know, top two or three round value on a guy who did not give you anything back. And lastly, Charlie Morton um, was kind of hoping to get back last weekend. Um, instead, he's going to throw a bullpen session on Tuesday, hopefully could return by this upcoming weekend if everything goes well. So you have to wait another week on Charlie Morton at least, but hopefully Morton back this weekend. Be nice. I mean, he's he's been a pitcher that, uh, has been a real when he's on the mound. I mean, super underrated. He's he's going to miss bats and he's playing behind one of the best lineups in baseball right now. So, yeah, hopefully Martin back. But uh, Morton is another case, and it's why I worry a little bit about Anderson. Is that I I'm starting to believe there is no such thing as a minor pitching injury. You may get a guy back uh, in a couple of weeks, but unless you're really hearing that the pitcher is just getting rest, take it seriously because there's a very good chance that he's going to be out longer than he says. And uh, the other thing we've learned is that baseball players are kind of liars and they really, really don't, uh, they don't want to admit they're hurt, but it's one of those things where if they say it's, it's just a weak thing, or if it's just the minimum dates, don't believe them. Yeah. That word minor keeps getting thrown around a whole lot and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it keeps getting being proven false over and over yeah. again. So yes, take everything with a grain of salt that they say, but for guys like Nick Anderson, Charlie Morton, there if you have IL spots, keep them. If not, uh, you know, especially with Anderson, there should be plenty of relievers in your league. Yeah, you can go from there. The all-new Roto World Premium subscription packages have the tools and resources you need to dominate your fantasy leagues from drafts through playoffs. Best of all, subscriptions are not just one sport. They include football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Chris, how many fantasy football leagues you have coming up? Oh my gosh, too many to name. Exactly, same here. Get <laughs> the premium subscription and get a leg up on the rest of your leagues. As a listener to the Roto World Fantasy Baseball Podcast, you get $10 off any annual subscription to Roto World Premium. So to find your edge, visit rotoworld.com slash edge using the promo code BBPOD10 
at checkout. That promo code again is BBPOD10. So let's flip over to the prospect pool because I, I found it funny as I was reading your prospects column this week, six players off of your top 10 from last week have made the promotions up to the majors. So yeah, keep a read out there, everyone. Every Monday, Chris comes out with a top 10 prospects list. Um, these guys are getting called up quick. So make sure you are the first one in your league to know who is who. So let's start up with Joey Bart, number two pick in the 2018 draft behind Casey Mize, who just had his debut last week. Joey Bart uh, was the clear-cut number one catcher in that draft, has really outside of A.D. Rushman, probably is still the number one catcher in the minors. He gets the call up, four hits in 12 at-bats early, so far in his career with three doubles. Chris, tell me what we should be expecting from Joey Bart and how aggressive should you be in terms of adding him? Yeah, I, I added him as quick as possible. He was one of those guys that I was honestly a little surprised he got the call-up. I mean, I, I had him on my list mainly because if he did get the call-up, that uh, he was a guy that you just had to get. And I expected him to get a, a cup of coffee, basically, but this is a pretty aggressive call-up for a guy, a catcher who uh, was had not played at the AAA level. But he, he's a really good offensive player. He's a guy who can hit for average, I think. It's going to be dependent. He's going to need some bad luck in, because the, there is some strikeout, and he's not exactly the fleetest of foot. But he makes hard contact to all parts of the field. The the calling card for me is the power here. And I, he hasn't – he's just missed a couple of homers. And he was – if he was playing in different parts – both of those long doubles probably get out of there. But he has power to all fields on the 2080 scale. It's either 60 or 65. So a, a very, very good offensive player. May may go through some uh, some ups and downs in the, his first taste, especially for a guy who hasn't played at the higher levels. But very talented kid who would have been the first overall pick in a lot of drafts. Casey Mize was just a, a borderline special pitching talent. So I totally t- – tough to argue with that. And I think he looked uh, – pretty darn good in his first start as well but but Bart's a really good offensive player he'd be a guy that especially if we need catching help and pretty much everybody needs catching help absolutely an addition for me would you add Bart over guys like Yadier or guys like um, Mitch Garver who who we've talked about struggling or Darno would you add Bart over any of these players yeah I think I would I, I would add him over Yadi personally and again much respect to Yachty, probably going to end up being a Hall of Fame player and a solid player. But I think because of his power, I'm adding Bart. I don't expect to see a ton of pop from Molina for the rest of the year just because of the missed time. And he wasn't exactly a, a 30 home run type of guy. You could get 30 homer rates from Bart. So some of it would depend on where I'm at. If I'm looking for just a solid floor, maybe I'm going with Yachty or Darnold. But if I need that upside, then Joey Bart is the guy that I'm adding. Brandon Rogers returns to the majors this past week. We saw him a little bit last year, struggled last year, went down with an injury, is finally back now. You love his hit tool. We, there's No one has ever questioned his ability to put bat to ball, even though we have not yet seen it at the major league level. The problem for Brandon Rogers is just that we don't know how he's going to get at bats. There is a very crowded lineup there in Colorado, and the cap on his potential is just how many ABs can he get? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating because 
This is the same thing we went through with Ryan McMahon when he got called up. It's the same thing that we went through with uh, Raymel Tapia when he got called up. It's the same thing we went through with Garrett Hampson when he got called up. They they really uh, – the Rockies seem to be one of those organizations that believes that there is value to adding a guy and not necessarily playing him every day, that those minor league reps don't matter. And now in the case of Rodgers – there is no minor league rep. So, so I get that from that standpoint. But he's a frustrating guy, um, not, and it has nothing to do with his talent. I mean, this is a shortstop that has the ability to hit for both average and power, uh, put up monster numbers in the minor leagues. Did struggle last year um, with uh, making adjustments, and that's, that's not a huge surprise. He was a 23-year-old, um, and he's 24 now, just turned 24 in, uh, earlier in August. Um, I'd like to see a little more success. He's just one for 12 so far, struck out four times. But because of his position eligibility, because of the park he's playing in, if I have room on my bench, especially for a middle infielder, I'm still adding Brendan Rodgers. I would much rather be too early with grabbing Rodgers than being too late. I agree with you there. You, his power and average combo is is rare to see coming out of the minors. Unfortunately, blocked at shortstop by Trevor Story and kind of blocked at second base by McMahon, who kind of needs to move to first base and have Daniel Murphy move to the DH spot full time for Rodgers to get consistent playing time. Like I said, you see how there's a problem just in terms of ABs, but the the talent is 100% there. And if he gets hot, even for a little bit, the Rockies will find a way of getting his bat into the lineup. Like you said, you want to be on the front end of this argument than sitting on the outside once somebody else grabs him and rides him. Um, We have a couple starting pitching uh, debuts go down this past week. Sixto Sanchez for the Miami Marlins and Tristan McKenzie for the Indians. They make their debuts. Sanchez, five innings, three earned, four strikeouts, no walks, which was really nice to see, against Washington. While McKenzie looked phenomenal, he gets the win in his debut, six innings, one earned, so a 1-5 ERA and 10 strikeouts against the Tigers. Man, those were so impressive, both of them. But I got to start with McKenzie, and he wasn't on my list because I didn't think that that the Indians were going to make that promotion, but boy, he looked good. And it's never been a question of talent with McKenzie. The question has always been durability, and anybody who watched that start, you came away with two things. You thought, boy, that's impressive stuff, and man, that guy needs to eat a couple of meals because that is one of the – there's a reason they call him sticks. I mean, that is a skinny, skinny prospect, and durability was already a question mark because he's dealt with forearm stuff, and he dealt with uh, some, some elbow stuff as well. That was his first competitive start since August of 2018. But he was a first-round pick, and that stuff is electric. And then Sixto Sanchez, you know, he has similar concerns because of his height. But, I mean, he's 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 ready to go. That that stuff, I believe he averaged 98.5 miles per hour with his fastball in that first start. Um, just a really impressive pitching prospect. Uh, that'll be a fun trade to evaluate in a few years because JT Real Muto is obviously one of the best catchers in baseball. But Sixto Sanchez, if he can actually – stick in a rotation. He has a chance to be a frontline starter Uh, when McKenzie pitches and when Sanchez pitches. I don't believe they've said that McKenzie's going to get another start. I don't know if it's been scheduled just yet. Sanchez for sure is getting another start. Those are guys I want to stream for the rest of the year because they're going to miss bats for sure. 
Yeah, and you really like to see from McKenzie, for a guy like you said, who has been out for basically two years with shoulder right. and forearm injuries, he touched 97 on the gun. You expect that he had thrown faster than that prior to his injuries, so you expect mm-hmm. that he will ramp up more. But him touching 97 on his fastball, really good to see, means that arm is healthy right now. Remember, he for those out there who don't remember, because it was two years ago, he was a top 50 prospect before his injuries. Mm-hmm. Really good to see him up and healthy in the majors and thriving. Like you said, though, only issue when Clevenger and Plesak come back, is there a spot in the rotation for him? So that is the only question in regards to McKenzie. You love the talent. You're just not sure about usage. Absolutely. Another starting pitcher expected to make his debut on Tuesday, Ian Anderson, starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. Another consensus top 50 prospect. He looks like he might make his debut against the Yankees, which is not exactly an easy runway to take off of, but still a very talented pitcher, posted a 3.38 ERA, 172 strikeouts to 65 walk, um, K walk ratio in 135 innings last year, um, can touch high 90s with that fastball, looks really good, looks like he's going to be a starter for a long time. Is this a top-of-the-rotation kind of guy or a two or three? I think he's more of a mid-rotation arm, and that's not an insult. There's just so – there's very few frontline starters. Um, that The point you made about debuting against the Yankees is a good one. That's that's not an ideal situation. But I'm still adding Anderson, and then I'm starting him for the next one, and I don't know when that'll be. I, I would assume that it won't be a one-off. Um, Anderson has really good stuff. He's got a, a plus curveball mid to high 90s, uh, can miss bats with his change as well. The issue is sometimes is that he's had issues throwing consistent strikes. Uh, 65 walks in that amount of innings is not ideal, but 172 strikeouts in that amount of innings certainly is. So never a question of stuff with him, a young guy who came out of high school, third overall pick. I would probably add him to my roster and not start him against the Yankees unless I absolutely have to. But assuming that even goes moderately well. And even if it doesn't go well, the the Braves are going to give him another chance to pitch. And Anderson has a chance to definitely help over this final stretch. Yeah. With Toussaint going, moving to the bullpen on a full-time basis and Kyle Wright getting put on the IL, the spot is wide open for Anderson here. So even if you don't start him against the Yankees on Tuesday, assuming that they follow, you know, he gets four days of rest. He should be going again on Sunday that's probably the time you'd want to first use him in your lineups. But either way, a very special talent. Getting a call-up, uh, I think bef- uh, with Soroka going down, a call-up that I don't think would have happened otherwise. Now that he is up, add him to your rosters there. And let's move over also to Ryan Mountcastle. Is that how it's pronounced? I've only ever seen yes. it read. Or I've only ever yes. seen it written, I should say. <laughs> Ryan Mountcastle, first baseman slash outfielder for the Orioles. Easily their top offensive bat. Well, I shouldn't say easily because Rushman is there. But their most major league ready offensive bat um, in the Baltimore system. He had 312 with 25 homers in 2019 at AAA Norfolk. Looks like he is going to be really good with a bat in his hand. Question about where he is going to play defensively, whether that's first base, whether that's outfield. But offensively, for fantasy purposes, a guy who looks like he could maybe immediately step in and be a contributor to your fantasy team. I've been really high on this kid's bat since high school. And 
Uh, some of you know that my, my first uh, break into this industry was covering the MLB draft, but this was a guy who played shortstop in high school, and it was very clear that that wasn't going to be his landing spot. Moved over to third. That didn't go so well either. Moved over to first, and now they're they're talking about the, the outfield conversion. I think ultimately he's going to be a first baseman, but I think the bat's going to play there. A, a chance to hit for average, a chance to hit for power. What I really like to see, and some of it had to do with the fact that the Boston pitchers just weren't successful doing it, but I love to see that he had three walks because patience has been his biggest issue. In 524 career minor league games, 101 walks, and very few of those were in 2019. That was the one bugaboo is that uh, that he is a guy who likes to grip and rip, but ball jumps off his bat. He uses the entire field. As long as he gives pitchers a reason to throw strikes, I think he can be successful. Maybe a little bit better long-term play, but if you need help at that corner infield, or, and I think he may have outfield eligibility sooner or later in some leagues. Yeah. He's a guy that I'd be looking to add for at least my bench. So I have to end with this question. Why is Gavin Luck still on your top 10 four <laughs> weeks, four plus weeks into the season? Oh man. So this is going to set a record. I had Vlad Guerrero number one for most of the end of the 2018 season, but at this point, I'm wondering if Lux is going to be just on there forever. Maybe I've cursed this poor young man. It's so frustrating to see because uh, it is good to see that he's swinging the bat well on the alternate side. Right before I logged on, I uh, noticed that he hit a, a leadoff homer off Tony Gonsolin in their alternate, uh, alternate game. So it's so frustrating, and I understand if people have gotten impatient. But I just can't imagine that there are – players out there with his kind of upside that you have on your bench right now. So unless you're playing in a 25 person league where or or shorter, even where you don't have a bench and everybody is contributing, that'd be the only reason why I wouldn't have Lux rostered in a league. He's a special offensive player, potentially saw it last year, saw it in the playoffs. Even, I mean, they hit that pinch hit home run. He's a very good offensive player. The Dodgers, I think some of this is service time manipulation, but uh, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. Still owned in 53% of leagues the last time I saw, but I, I totally understand those 40% of leagues who have decided to move on, but I, I, I'm rambling because I'm frustrated. <laughs> so am I, because I have him in one of my leagues and he's been sitting on my bench this whole time. Because um, I'm with you. I completely believe in the talent. We saw what yeah. he could do at a major league level already. This isn't mm-hmm. a conversation like we're projecting how we no. think a guy is going to be. We've seen it. It's already existed. So it is kind of mind-blowing to me that he hasn't gotten the call-up. Yes, the Dodgers have been fine at that keystone position. Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor have done just fine running that spot. But Lux just has more potential than both of them. And I'm shocked that the Dodgers haven't given the call-up. When you mentioned service time manipulation, correct me if I'm wrong, but short of him sitting out the rest of this year and then coming up later next year is the only time the service manipulation would kick in. Like if they call him up next week, does that not count for the year? So what the, I think what they're talking about now with service time manipulation is avoiding the super two and what the super two for people who are unfamiliar is the guy who starts his arbitration a year early. And I believe we have either reached that point or we're close. I'm sorry that I don't know the exact. I believe we've reached that. Yeah, I believe we reached. Yeah. It. I think that was last yeah. week at one point. 
but yeah, that would that would be the service time manipulation in this case. But it's just crazy to see that he's still down. I mean, there are several players that I've added that I've said, I don't think this guy is going to get called up. But, and the one guy I was sure was going to get called up other than Luis Robert, because, you know, he had signed that contract extension ahead of time, that he was as sure to make the major league roster as anybody, but there are no certainties in 2020. No, there are not. And for those Gavin Lux owners out there, if you're leading in your leagues and you can be patient, hold tight. You are going to get, theoretically, you are going to get a very nice bump when you get towards the playoffs. However, if you're on a team that is, you know, struggling, that is fighting for wins right now, I'm not going to blame you at all if you drop Lux, especially if you're in a redraft league where it's not like you get to potentially keep onto him for next year. If that is the case, then I have no problem with you dropping Lux. We expected this call up already. We believe in the talent, but we expected this call up already, and it just isn't happening. I'll blame you a little bit, but no. You're going to blame me a little bit? No, that's uh, fine. Just a little bit, yeah. That is the way that commentating works always, that as soon as I say that, Gavin Lux will get called up before this episode airs on Tuesday morning, and we'll hit a Grand Slam on Tuesday night, and I'll look like an idiot. I'm sorry to say this, but I really hope so. (laughs) you know what i'll take it if that's the case he's still on my bench in one league and i'll finally get the goods for it well that is our show for today as always thank you all for the listen uh if you like being the first person in your league to know about all of these prospects before all your friends be sure to subscribe to the rotor world fantasy baseball podcast and listen each and every week You can listen to her wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. Chris and I have very sensitive egos. So five-star reviews only. We really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at CalDon'tLie, all one word. And you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Our midweek episode with DJ and Drew will be out this Thursday. So be sure to come back for more Juicy Fantasy Nuggets then. And be sure to keep checking back to RotoWorld.com to get all of the best up-to-the-minute fantasy info. Until next week, good luck with your fantasy teams and stay safe. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.